0: life for mine. Isn't that good? Praise the Lord. All right. Well, let's go ahead and um, uh, just turn over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Thought maybe these guys were going to come up and sing there for a minute. (laughs) I want to kind of begin a series on Sunday nights, uh, seeing that we are entering into our soul-winning campaign, and we're looking forward to kind of kicking things off again and getting things back to somewhat normal again, and I'm excited about that. Um, You know, in the past, of course, we've knocked on thousands and thousands of doors in our area, and it's so important that we continue to keep contact with people in our neighborhoods and in our community. It's important that we stay in contact not just with even them, but even around the world. We're trying to send missionaries out and to reach the world with the gospel. And uh, listen, the need of every person the same, Jesus Christ. doesn't matter who you are, uh, you need him. And so we're trying to, uh, that's our goal. We want to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ and make a difference. And uh, so in this series, we're going to concentrate on this important theme of personal soul winning. Uh, just the idea that, uh, you know, very practical ways, just some ideas, some things and and biblical principles that we need to embrace and ultimately apply to our lives as we go forward. Now, our marching orders, as we often refer to them as, are found in the Savior's words. And they're pretty familiar, aren't they? They're found in a couple of passages. One is in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 19. Right there we find, he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now again, when the passage is being given, we know that he's sharing that with the disciples, those apostles ultimately they'd be called, who were there as he prepares to ascend even. But the truth is, is that they represent the church. And you and I being part of the church, part of the body of Jesus Christ, if those words were spoken then, they're just as authoritative and as important now as they were then. And so I think it's uh, it's obviously essential that you and I recognize that although the marching orders were given many, many years ago, the, the, the fact is, is that God still requires them of the church today. And being part of the church, he requires them of, the, of, of us as individuals. Now, in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We see in Luke chapter 24, verse 46 through 49, And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. We see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and under the othermost part of the earth. And um, so we're recognizing this theme, this this commission, this these marching orders. We see in John chapter 20, verses 21 and 22, he says, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so I, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto, unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted of them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Again, God is making it very, very clear, our mission, our work, our calling. And so, again, after reading these simple passages, I think it's pretty easy to recognize and to see that every believer, every Christian, is to be constantly on the job of winning the loss to the Savior. Now, the truth is we can all probably improve in this area quite a bit. And the fact is, is that we may say to ourselves, well, why do we even have to talk about this again? Don't we talk about it enough? Haven't we heard about this before? Well, honestly, we don't talk about it that awfully much, as much as we ought to. We talk a lot about the gospel. We talk a lot about the need for people to be saved. But the responsibility of you and I to do it or to go faithfully with the gospel, sometimes I think that we neglect that a little bit because it's somewhat uncomfortable for all of us. It's not something that comes very natural because in our flesh, in this adamic nature, we don't have any desire to exalt God to begin with. In this adamic nature, we don't have any desire to, to truly elevate the Lord Jesus Christ in a world that hates him. In this flesh, we're fearful and we're afraid of rejection. In this flesh, we really don't want to step out of our comfort zone. We'd be much more happy to remain in our comfort zones. And so A series like this or passages or messages, I should say, that address and deal with this particular issue aren't always most popular. The theme, the title of our series is going to be Winning the Lost to the Savior. And I think that's a pretty simple and practical name or title for a series that's dealing with winning the lost or taking the gospel to the world. Now, our first lesson in that is going to be called winning the Lost to the savior, or you might even say our marching orders. But we're going to look at that theme for our series and we're going to break it down a little bit tonight. We're going to look at it and we're going to, to, to make a note of three important words that are in the title. And here are the three words. Again, remember it's winning the lost to the savior. We're going to work backwards. So we're going to look at savior, or excuse me, we're going to look at winning, lost and Savior. And I want to start with Savior and work back, all right? So tonight we're going to have a word of prayer and then we're going to begin with the word Savior. We're going to think about the word Savior a little bit and then we're going to consider the word lost and then winning. I'm I'm hoping we get to all of that, okay? So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer tonight and we'll let the Lord lead us and take us where he wants us. Father, we need you. We desperately need you. Thank you for the music already. Thank you for just the privilege of being part of the service Lord, again, I I just thank you for the privilege and opportunity to be around your people again. Lord, we are a people who need you. Our world is changing quickly. Lord, we need the fellowship of believers. We need the encouragement that comes from one another. It, it, It helps us so greatly to know that we are in the midst of those who believe the word of God as we do, who embrace its truths and principles, who apply it to their lives or at least do their best to do so. Lord, it's so encouraging to know that we are not alone. Even as Elijah feared that he was alone, and you had to remind him that there were 7,000 others, Lord, every time we come together as a church family, a church body, we're reminded that we're not the only ones that believe. Thank you again for all you do for us. Bless us tonight even on this resurrection day. We'll give you the glory in Christ's name. Amen. So let's first think of the word Savior for a moment. Now, it's honestly, it's one of the more precious names given to our Lord. And as a matter of fact, it was given by divine announcement. Take your Bible, look over the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 21. We recall that uh, the angel speaks to Mary, and notice what he says in Matthew, chapter 1, verse 21. Speaking, he says, And she shall bring forth a son... Talking about Mary. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Again, notice, and she shall bring forth a son, referring to Mary, and shall call his name Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. We see here clearly that he is going to be a savior right off the bat. And our Lord is again making it very clear what his primary purpose for coming is. I mean, the fact of the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, all of it, all for a purpose, all for a reason. And we see in the book of Luke, chapter 19, verse 10, the Bible says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, I don't know uh, why it would be a problem to talk a lot about reaching people with the gospel, because the Lord Jesus Christ told us to go and do as he has done, to, to do Likewise. Well, the Bible says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now again, I guess if everybody was extremely involved, if all of us were plugged in 100%, and I'm talking about myself, to be honest with you, 100% into this calling and really serious about this need for reaching the world with the gospel, then we wouldn't have to talk about it so much probably. And yet, if we're going to preach the whole counsel of of the word of God, we'd have to because it's in there, and it's in there often. I mean, Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, you know, that, that's pretty important, I think. In 1 Timothy 1.15, the Bible says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm chief. The Apostle Paul, of course, speaking to Timothy, his son in the faith. Hebrews chapter seven verse twenty five we read wherefore he's able to also to save them to the uttermost to come unto him by uh, by him come unto God by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them he's able to save them to the uttermost it says now listen his coming although his coming provided us a wonderful example and it did although his coming provided us a supreme guide and a supreme teacher. That wasn't the primary purpose of his coming. It wasn't just to be an example. It wasn't just so that we might have a little better idea of how we ought to treat one another. Now listen, we know that his life provided us that kind of example, no doubt. We know that him being here gives us uh, some, some guide marks by which to, to, to mark our path. We, we understand all that. But that is not the, the main reason he came. He came to save the lost. And in the Gospels, we have a very clear picture of him doing this particular work. And for the last 2,000 years now, the church, at least the obedient church, has been consistently seeking to save the lost in their sin, to fulfill and to follow through with the command that Jesus Christ gave at his ascension. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the, Lord added unto the, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. He's the one that's the author of all of this. It's Him that's increasing. It's Him that's adding. We're simply heralds going out and sharing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and in His authority, with His authority. See, he is a universal savior, and he cares about all souls. He's the savior of all mankind. In John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day, Jesus, uh, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The sin of the world. It wasn't just your sin and mine. It wasn't just for America. It wasn't just for uh, over in the Middle East. It wasn't just for a particular group of people. It was for the entire world that he came. He's the Savior whom everybody needs. Everybody needs him. Not only is he everyone's Savior if they'll call upon him, but everybody needs him to save them. In Romans chapter 10, turn there, would you please? Romans chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. I'll be honest with you, I think it's a lot easier to sing in the choir than it is to go out and try to talk to somebody about Jesus. I like to sing songs about him, but I'll tell you what, it's not always very easy to talk to somebody out in public about him. It's intimidating. It's awkward at times. Makes me feel a little kind of out of sorts a little bit. And as I said, out of my comfort zone. My comfort zone is to keep to myself and just go through life. Sadly enough, the devil's happy when I do that. He's happy when you do too. That's certainly not what God intended for his church and his people. Notice what it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 12 through 13. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Now, again, remember, before we go any further, Jew and the Greek has to do with all the Jews and anybody that's not. That's what it's talking about. That's the implication here. So if you're not a Jew, then you're kind of grouped with the Greeks here. You're a Gentile. And so in this case, he says, there's no difference now that Jesus Christ died, was buried and rose again. There need be no difference. At least in Christ, there's no difference. Can I tell you there is no need? Listen, there is a a biblical culture, a Christ-like culture that we are to adhere to in the Christian faith. I became a citizen of heaven the day I got saved. Therefore, I govern my life by the rules of heaven, and they're found in the word of God. Hey, listen, I am happy and proud to be an American. I have traveled at certain countries, and I'm glad that I live in America. But I'm going to tell you this. I am much more happy that I'm a child of God and a child of the king. And I will guarantee you this. When it comes to my culture, it isn't an American culture. It is a Christian culture that I want to manifest in my life a Christ-like culture. I don't care if you live in Russia or Africa or Antarctica. If you're a child of God, guess what? The culture should be the same because it's all rooted in the Bible. That's why our homes ought to look different than the world in which we live. Because although the world's culture says this is how your home ought to look, the Bible culture says it ought to look different. He's a universal Savior, though, a Savior of all men, but He's also the only Savior. He's the only Savior. And there is no other Savior. No other Savior at all, including ourselves. It's very important that we really grasp that concept. Because at times we lose sight of that when we view our family and our loved ones and our friends and we say, but they're really good people. But good people go to hell. Only saved people go to heaven. Only born again people according to the Bible. Only regenerated people go to to heaven. Only those that who have had the blood of Christ applied to their life go to heaven. Only those in the body of Christ go to heaven. And all those terms point to the same issue, that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again, and we put our personal faith and trust in Him only to save us. Turn to Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. In Isaiah 45, verse 22, we have a prophetic statement being made. Notice what it says. Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Listen, there is only one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So the Bible teaches, one Savior only, only one. In John chapter 10, verse 9, he says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. I'm the door. And listen, you can't say that and I can't say that. Not in the sense that he's speaking it. Remember, we said this morning, there is no man like that man, the man Christ Jesus. No one, none of us. He's the only one, the only Savior. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, he says. You're not the way, I'm not the way, he is. Acts chapter 4 verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Neither is there salvation in any other. It's very clear biblically and scripturally that he is the only Savior. You say, well, I believe that you, you know, there, there are, I believe that there's one God and many names for God. Well, I mean, that's, that would seem reasonable to some degree, I suppose. But unfortunately, you must define the terms. When you begin to use the names of other so-called gods, you must recognize and, and understand what they stand for and who they are based on their, even their own admission. And may I say that they don't line up. Can I tell you that Buddha is not Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is not Buddha? And may I say that Mohammed is not Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is not Muhammad? Can I tell you that Confucius is not Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is not Confucius? May I tell you that his doctrine and his stand and his person is outlined and given to us in the scriptures and it is Jesus Christ and him alone who is Savior of all the world. Say, but Christianity can't be the only one that's right. That's a big chance to take. The Bible says it is. Now, if you don't believe the Bible, then I guess you can believe whatever you choose. I mean, really, you're, you're welcome to believe whatever you like. God is not going to twist your arm. He's not going to force you to believe that the Bible is the word of God. But if you claim to believe that the word of God, this book is the Bible, and it's the word of God, then my friend, then you cannot deny the fact that Jesus Christ claims that he is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Now, you, you don't, don't tell me you believe the Bible, but you don't believe what it says. At least be honest with yourself. And that's the only way you'll ever find truth, by the way. I think we're, we need to be wise when it comes to these things, even as parents sometimes, because we need to recognize that just because a child shows a little bit of concern or begins to ask some tough questions or begins to express a little bit of doubt, we don't lose ourselves and, oh, no, what's going to happen? Oh, no, you don't believe. You believe this and you believe that. You do. Do they? Why are they asking the questions? Maybe we need to pray a little bit about it. Maybe we need to give them some scripture to read. Maybe we need to point them some passages in the Bible and say, hey, read First John, and why don't you go ahead and read the book of John and learn more about Jesus and who he really is and recognize him as God's son. I mean, let's go ahead and look at the word of God and let the word of God build faith in them because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Don't tell them they know what they know. Don't tell them they're saved. Let them find that out. So we have such a weak need Faith about that thin that's shattering across this country because we're trying to, oh, no, you know, you, I remember when you got saved. Well, do they remember? Well, I'm starting to wonder if I didn't believe in God. No, no, you believe in God. Yes, you do. Don't, and then they go, well, I'm never going to tell them that again because I don't want to disappoint Mom and Dad when you could have been the one to help them find the truth. I'm not trying to say try to instill You know, questions or fears or 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 doubt. No, but if it raises its ugly head, which it probably will, confront it and let them learn or find their way through that mess. If they read, study, and dig into the Word of God, guess what they're going to find—the same thing you did. It don't change. It's the same today. It'll be the same tomorrow as it was 50 years ago. It'll be all right. Jesus is still the way. He's a universal Savior. He's the Savior of all men. He's the only Savior. There is no other. He's a perfect Savior. Now, hold on. I'm not necessarily talking now about being perfect in the sense that he's without sin or his character or his makeup. I'm talking about the fact that his work Is done complete and whole. It's a perfect work. He's a perfect Savior. When He saves, the job is done. There's no case too hard for Jesus. Contrary to what we may think, you know, we we go out on the highways and hedges and we run into somebody that looks tough or mean or nasty. And we say, wow, they're a tough one. That's a tough nut to crack. And God's back there going, you know what? They're just human beings. Now their life may have taken some turns that has caused them to grow bitter and hard-hearted. But listen, that's not for us to determine who's tough and who's not. Let's let God worry about that. Let's just continue to give them truth and love them the way Jesus would. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Can you turn there, please? Hebrews 7, 25. We've already looked at it once, but I want to I want you to see it for yourself or at least I quoted it once. It's a great passage. In Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 we read, "Wherefore Hebrews 7:25 wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. you got to come to God by him now. But he's able to save you to the uttermost, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them, he says. And I'll tell you what, he's a perfect Savior. His salvation is going to take. If you get it, you got it. Winning the loss to the Savior. We've already looked at that word Savior, but let's take just a moment and consider the word lost now. Why was it necessary for the Savior to come? We've already talked about that. We've addressed it already to some degree. The fact is, is because apart from Him, all men, all women are lost. The word lost describes a a sense of of, deep spiritual need in a person. And by the way, every human being has this deep spiritual need that is lacking in their life. They've got to find him. He's the only one that can make the difference. They are lost. That's the description that God gives us in the Word of God. We look at situations like chapter 15 of the book of Luke, and we see the parable of the lost sheep. We note the lost coin. We note the lost son. And what we recognize is that he's trying to point out is that without him, we are lost also. We're lost. And that is the condition of all mankind without Jesus Christ, lost. Now to be lost is to be perishing, according to the Bible. John 3.16, you probably can quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not Perish, but have everlasting life. Hey, to be lost is to be perishing. If you don't know Christ and haven't put your personal faith in Jesus, then you are perishing. See, you're lost and you're perishing. Not only that, to be lost is to be under condemnation. The Bible says... For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. He's condemned already. It's not a matter of well I'll see how I live and and maybe I'll do a few good things, and at least I won't be condemned. No, you're already condemned. We are born with a sin nature. We're already born in the the image of Adam. Someone says, no, I'm in the image of God. Go back to chapter 5 of the book of Genesis and recognize that that's not the case now. You are in the image of your earthly father now. And you need a supernatural birth. You need to be born again, according to John chapter 3, verse 7, in order to take on the image of your heavenly Father. To be lost is to be under condemnation. Years ago, and even really in the present day, if a person commits a heinous crime, There's a possibility they could be condemned to death. Well, guess what? Because of our sin, we are already condemned to death, eternal death and separation from the Lord forever. To be lost is to be under the wrath of God. In John chapter 3 again, verse 36, the Bible says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. But he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Do you believe on the Son? You say, yes, I do. Well, praise God, you have everlasting life. But if you don't believe on the Son, you're not going to see life, but, but instead the wrath of God abideth on you. Now, years ago as a kid, I still remember that I learned some valuable lessons early on. I learned that if I don't obey mom and dad, I'm going to experience the wrath of dad. Now, I'll tell you, that was bad enough. The wrath of dad was bad enough. I don't want to have to endure the wrath of God. There's so much more at stake here with God than there is even with an earthly father. We have eternity that we're dealing with and that we must face. The wrath of God, I can't even imagine. To be lost is to be spiritually dead. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is a great passage, isn't it? Man, it's so great. It's wonderful. He begins in chapter 2, verse 1, by saying, And you hath he quickened. Listen, I, I have always wanted to be able to run a 4 5 four, 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 three, 40. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're talking about 40-yard dash. I think I got under 8 once. But that's not the quickening he's talking about, okay? He's not talking about being quick. I do have cat-like reflexes, as you saw the other day with my Bible. Remember that, don't you, some of you? It's been burned into your minds. It's amazing. You should have seen me as a teenager. If only they had, what's that, that show where they fly through the air with the greatest of ease? No, 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 no. I'm not talking about being an acrobat, man. I'm talking about being a ninja warrior. (laughs) Did you ever see that show, Ninja Warrior? That would have been me. (laughs) Now, moving on. But he says, And you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Listen, to to be lost is to be spiritually dead. To be lost is to be bound for a Christless eternity. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 49 and 50, it says, So shall it be at the end of the world, the angels shall come forth and, and sever the wicked from among the just, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. In Revelation 20, 14 and 15, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. To be lost is to be bound for a Christless eternity. You know, people often are quick to say, well, you know, God's a God of love. Boy, I'll tell you what, they're right, he is. That that is so true. Sadly enough, you won't find him there in the lake of fire. There'll be no love there. If you think hatred manifests itself on earth, you haven't seen anything yet. When Christ's influence is totally gone and you are alone literally forever and ever and ever without him. What's called darkness there, by the way, it's interesting we're talking about the lost. The Bible indicates that it'll be outer darkness. Oh, we'll have a party with our friends. No, you won't. You won't even to see each other. It will be so dark you'll never even see each other. It would be like going down into one of those caverns that you've ever gone into, maybe in the hills or mountains of, uh, of North Carolina or something. Pitch black. So thick, so dark is the blackness that you feel it. And you'll be alone among the screaming and hollering and crying out. Sad, sad situation. To be lost is to be bound for a Christless eternity. Boy, how urgent is this need that every lost man and woman has? We're going to end there tonight. But I think it's important to recognize that we have a responsibility to win the lost to the Savior. Now, There may be some in the crowd, and and there very well could be that say, you know what? I take every opportunity to witness and to share the gospel with people. And you know what? I pray, I pray you know, I'm so happy for that if that's the case. But can I tell you, as my grandma used to say, guilty as charged, that's not me. I have let people slip through my fingers, especially as of late. Especially as of late. I know I need to work in this area. I need to be aware of this area. I need to be reminded again of this area. This series isn't so much for you, it's for me. May God help us as a people, as a church, to be reminded of our responsibility of reaching the lost. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time together, and we do ask, Lord, that you would just work in our lives and our hearts. Lord, uh, I just pray that you would speak to us. I think about that video that we saw and just how we need to be burning within. Father, help us, Lord. Revive us again. Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Lord, we'll praise you. We'll thank you for it. Now work in our lives. And again, Lord, if there be anyone here that's without Christ, I pray that they'd come forward and allow me to have someone take a Bible and show them how they can be saved. Lord, for us as believers, may we be ever reminded of our great need to win the loss to the Savior. We'll thank you. We'll praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed, as the music plays.